welcome and thank you for joining us again for what will be our final look at the message given to the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, we've got a lot to get through today, so please grab your Bibles, uh, find the book of Habakkuk and let's get started. We're going to unpack the final chapter of this small uh, but extremely important book. But before we do, I'd like us just to pick up on a very special aspect of chapter two, uh, which we didn't look at earlier. Now, we know from scripture, don't we, that God chose Israel to be his mouthpiece to the nations. And Mount Sinai, after bringing them out of Egypt, he made them into a nation and gave them a constitution, his Torah, his instructions for maintaining a relationship with God and with each other. However, what is interesting is that throughout history, God has often used the nations, the Gentiles, to also work out his purposes for our world. We see this in chapter 2 of Habakkuk. God had a good reason for removing Judah from the promised land. And we see from the woes of chapter 2 that God chose the Babylonians to fulfil a function. We've learned from our previous studies that God does things his way, which to us often seems to be sometimes strange and incoherent. So then, why did God allow the Babylonians to do what they did to Judah? Was it only because Israel had sinned and failed to live up to their calling to be a light to the nations? Now, personally, I don't think so. Because even through apparent failure, God can still work out his purposes. So let's have a look at uh, one verse in chapter 2, verse 14. And uh, this is a, uh, a verse that just sometimes seems out of place. It's, it's almost like, like an island that's uh, sitting in a sea of woes. And uh, it, the verse goes like this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. God's plan for this world is that his name will be exalted. In spite of Israel's failings, in spite of the sins of the people, he would demonstrate that he is the one true God who is always in control. And if he has to use the Gentile nations to show this, he would. God wants the whole earth to know who he is, to fill it with his presence and his glory. Now, although God continually states in his word that Mount Zion or Jerusalem is his throne, he is not confined to a place or to time. God is eternal. But God has chosen this planet, this world, as a centre stage to play out his purposes. He created this earth for his glory. He created mankind to live on this earth for his glory. He chose and covenanted with his people Israel for his glory. He sent his Messiah, Jesus, for his glory. He created a one new man comprising of both Jewish and non-Jewish believers in Jesus for his glory. And in the end, he will bring together all things 
both his messianic kingdom and eternal kingdom through and under Messiah Jesus. And it's all for his glory. Because God is the sovereign king of the universe and all the nations are subject to him. Habakkuk himself says this in chapter 2 verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God's fundamental intention is that the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. I don't believe that God wants us to be limited by our understanding of these words filled with the knowledge. As humans, we often confine our thinking to what our minds can process. And this leads very often to the opposite of faith. The truth is that we limit God by thanking God for a little harvest in our small part of the harvest field. But God's idea of a spiritual harvest is a huge influx of people swept into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't deny that the Bible does teach that there would be a falling away by some in these last days. But he also says that the harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few, so it's time for us to take up our tools for the job, the word of God, intercessory spirit-empowered prayer, and our personal testimony, and start to play our part. Not so the church takes over the world, as some incorrectly teach, but for God's glory and for his name's sake alone. This is God's purpose, that his name is glorified, and so we are asked to humbly play our part and not to think any more of ourselves than we should. You know, when we stand back and see what God does, I don't know about you, but I'm just filled with amazement. And what is even more amazing and that is that he invites me and he invites you to partner with him. So we need to be ready to actively communicate the good news of the gospel and fill the earth, starting with Sedgley or wherever you live, our part of the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. But this is just the start. God thinks big and so should we. This is why missions on every level is so important. This is why sharing the gospel as widely as possible and being involved in as many evangelistic efforts as possible is required of us, both as individuals and as a church. It's our commission. It's our job as Christians. Jesus told us to do it. Sharing the gospel is not voluntary. It's what each of us is called to do. You know, I like the idea. Uh, I think Pastor Steve mentioned it the other week. But I, I like the idea of putting over the door of our church as we go out. You are now entering the mission field. Because it's very, very true. The mission field, despite what we've thought in the past, is not our church building. It's everywhere else wherever God has put you. Yes, of course, bring people to that to our church. Bring your family, bring your friends. 
we will always preach the gospel. But firstly, our friends and family should see the gospel in us. It's not just about bringing them to church and then we've done our bit. Jesus made disciples who in turn made further disciples. This was the biblical pattern. This is how the life-changing message of Jesus spread in the early church throughout history and continues to spread today. To share the message of God's way of salvation and to lead them to Jesus on our patch, in our homes and on our streets. You know, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that God is not confined to a building between 11 o'clock and midday on a Sunday when the church meeting is on. God is moving on people's hearts and bringing them to himself 24-7, whether we have our doors open or not. Now, missions and evangelism have always burnt strongly in my heart. And this is certainly an area of the church with Pastor Steve, myself and, our, and the church leaders are considering developing more as we open our doors more widely and the church functions on a more active level. We want you to engage in this. So please speak to us and let's see how we can see the message of Jesus shared where we are and elsewhere as we partner with with others. Now returning to our verse in chapter 2, it's true that in our Western minds and English language we often confine the meaning of the word knowledge to mere intellectual understanding. In Hebrew thought, as demonstrated in the Hebrew word used for knowledge in this verse and throughout this verse, the language is very different and leads us to a much wider understanding of the word. It implies a deep relationship at every level of one's being. It's not only concerned with the mind, but also a spiritual and an emotional relationship. God is interested in every aspect of our being. And this is a very Hebraic concept of God. And this verse demonstrates this very point. The knowledge and glory of God should encompass our whole understanding of who he is and his relationship with us. This is what we mean when we talk about an intimate relationship with God. That God invades every aspect of our lives as individuals and more widely our world. God wants us all to see the holiness and the glory of the Lord as the last few verse of, words of this verse say, as the waters cover the sea. His glory will fill and cover this earth that he created. This is the ultimate aim of history, his story, the story of how God will bring everything together in the end under Messiah Jesus. Paul talks about this in Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the middle of what God was doing in Habakkuk's day, 
with invading nations around them, God would be exalted in their woes. God had a purpose in their woes, and he has a purpose in our woes. And that is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So in light of that, let's continue into Habakkuk chapter 3, which is very different in its tone and language, but follows the theme established in chapters 1 and 2, that God is ultimately in control. He uses everything to work out his purposes, and ultimately he will be glorified in praise to his name. Habakkuk now understands that God, what God has been doing all along, and what his purposes are for Judah. All he can do now, as verse 20 of chapter 2 tells us, is rest in silence, knowing that God is in control. But then in Habakkuk chapter 3, the prophet bursts forth with this prayer, which we see was set to music. It's a psalm. It's a psalm of praise. Habakkuk offers up a song of praise, having gone on a steep learning curve and come out on the other side. And here we finally see the transforming purposes of hearing God, being a watchman in anticipation of God working out his word and accepting his plan and purpose, however that may affect us. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 to 16 together. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shiginoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years revive it, in the midst of the years make it known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendour covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the, sea, the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse, horses on the chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. 
My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So let's just look at a few aspects of this final chapter of Habakkuk. And uh, let's first of all look at verse 2. Now this verse sums up this chapter. Here we have Habakkuk praising and glorifying God for who he is and what he has done. He is the King Eternal and he has all things in his hands. Habakkuk wants God to work things out in his day that his name will be known. Isn't that our prayer? Isn't that what we want to see God do? We want to see God work things out in our day. As we come out of this pandemic, we want to see God glorified. We want to see his name known in all the earth, especially where we are in Sedgley. Verses 3 to 7, Habakkuk here starts to use a typical uh, biblical style of recollecting the past, praising God for it, bringing the truths and realities of the past into the present. And by declaring God's previous blessings over our lives, we are reminded that he is the God of the present. He's also the God of the future. God is not stuck in time, never to be involved in our lives again. He is the ever-present help in time of need. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. An example of this is when we take our communion together. We not only look back at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but we thank God for the present reality of sins forgiven. And we look forward to that messianic banquet in the future, in the Lord's presence, culminating, as Jesus said, with him partaking in the final cup of consummation at the end of all things. Paul also writes in this way, saying in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul here is explaining that we have effectively been crucified, buried and resurrected in Christ. We now have the life of the Messiah within us because he loved me and gave himself for me. So Habakkuk is remembering God's presence and God's glory over the, the heavens and the earth and particularly his people Israel as they were led by him in the desert after leaving Egypt. Let's have a look at verses 8 to 16. Once he has established all of this in these earlier verses, Habakkuk then goes on to declare the power and the majesty of God using nature which he created as the example. God has complete control over this world. We've said that, haven't we, numerous times. 
and he has set in place the natural order, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seas. God is Lord over them all. Now the disciples saw this in Jesus, God with us, as we read in Matthew 8, verse 24 to 27. It goes like this. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. As Jesus was sleeping, the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You see, the disciples asked that question. In another translation, he says that they were afraid. They had God's fear within them. And they asked this question because they knew their Psalms. And they realised that only God had power over the storms. Only God had power over nature. And they came to the sudden realisation that God was in the boat with them. God is in the boat with us. So many times. He's in control of everything. And when the storms of life come, we know that God is in the boat. Because God's word tells us that he has authority over the storms. He has authority over the storms of life. So trust him. Trust him today. You see, God, uh, Abacuc continues to declare God's majesty over history, creation, and even over his own circumstances. And after realising his place before God in verse 16, we come to the climax of this book in Habakkuk's final declaration in verses 17 to 19. And let's just read these last few verses together. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk's journey has taken him from despair to life-changing faith and a trust in a God who will always be there. Even when the calamity falls on Judah, God is there. He will save a remnant to restore his name. The righteous will live by faith in a personal God. Despite everything that is going wrong, and although he sees the devastation around him in verses 18 and 19, Habakkuk declares, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk declares that God, who is described here in the Hebrew by both the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, and the creator God, Elohim, is the source of his salvation, his strength, and his purpose. It's very personal. Habakkuk has learned that even in the middle of life's trials and difficulties, he should rejoice in God, his Saviour. And so should we. It often seems and feels like the last thing to do, but this book shows us that the secret of overcoming is praise. It is rejoicing in God our Saviour. It makes all the difference. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be bouncing around the room all the time, but it will mean that we have a deep assurance that if everything fails around us, God is there for us, for which we give him the praise of our heart. Amen. You know, we soon learn that the things of this world do not give us the shalom, God's peace in our lives. Deep joy is found in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus. It is firstly that saving faith that starts our journey with him. And then the continual faith or faithfulness is a better way of putting it to God, where he works out his perfect righteousness in and through our testimony and our actions before others. God takes us to high places in him. God wants us to soar like the eagle as he carries us. We soar because he carries us. He is there. He's there in the low places. He's there in the high places. And he wants us to walk in those high places. Places of communion with God. Places of fellowship with God. So, in conclusion, what have we learned from this book? And I think we've learned a few things, haven't we? We've heard that God does hear us when we come to him. God hears us when we come to him. He's not phased by our questions. He's always there, even when it seems to us that he's a million miles away. God has a plan. He has a purpose for our lives, which he will accomplish within us. He wants us to be watchmen, watchmen for ourselves, watchmen for our church, watchmen for our friends, watchmen for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, watchmen for others. God has his own way of resolving matters. And it's sometimes he'll use the most unlikely ways to do it. We looked at faith didn't we and righteousness and we we found that our righteousness is found in god alone and in his salvation 
and that this translates to a living, life-changing faith, or more accurately, faithfulness to our Messiah Jesus, which is developed and demonstrated through our deeds. And the secret of living out this faith and overcoming everything in the Messiah is through acknowledging who God is and living out a life of joy and a life of praise. You know, Habakkuk lived up to his name. He embraced what God planned for his life. And I'm going to finish this final study with the question. What about you? What about me? Are we willing to embrace God? Are we willing to embrace God in the same way that Habakkuk did? To understand who God is. To understand that sometimes things don't work out how we want it to. But God is there anyway. God is always there. And that he will bring us through. That God is faithful. That God is true. That God wants to birth faith within us. And he wants us to walk in a life of praise, of victory. He wants us to walk in high places with him. Now, as always, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? You may have listened to this study. You may have listened to some of the other studies. And finally, you, may, you are understanding who, who Jesus is. It's time to accept him. It's time to come and bow the knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and accept him into your life. Do it even now as you watch this video. And you may have also be somebody who's wandered away. But the Lord is calling you home. We believe in our church that God is calling many prodigals back. And that you may be one of them. It's time to bow the knee again. It's time to proclaim Jesus as Lord of your life. If you've done that today, then get in touch with us, get in touch with me, get in touch with Pastor Steve, any of the leaders in our church, anybody in our church, maybe one of your friends that's invited you and encouraged you to watch these videos, then just share with them what you've done. And we can pray with you. We will let you have some literature. We'll encourage you in the Lord. The most important thing we always want to do is to introduce you to Jesus. So let's just uh, finish our time now with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that there are so many lessons in this book, this book of Habakkuk, that show us who you are, to show us that you have a plan and a purpose for us, to show us that you love us, to show us that you give everything for us. 
to show us that you want faith to be birthed within us. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we meditate upon these words, this, the words of this uh, wonderful book, that, Lord, you will speak deeply into our hearts and bring us closer to our Messiah and our Lord, Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you for your word. It is life. It is truth. And it speaks deep into our soul. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this book together. We pray, Lord, that it will do us good as we continue to serve you and to trust you in our daily walk with you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's the uh, book of Habakkuk. Uh, I've uh, had a wonderful time looking at this, preparing these short videos for you. And I trust that God has blessed you as we've studied it together. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to feed them back. I'd love to uh, have a chat with you or if you have any anything or if you need to know more about just following Jesus, then that would be great. We would love to speak to you. So until we uh, see each other again, God bless you. Amen.